Hello? Hello. My name is Can Jean. you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. I can't hear me. Are you plugged in the right one? Are you plugged in all the way? It's supposed to be yellow. Yellow. Yeah, supposed to match your... I color-coded everything. There we, yep. Fucking yep, yep. There we go. I want to be handheld until I need to smoke a pipe. Right. <laughs> I'm a fucking idiot. You're a fucking idiot, boy. I'm a fucking idiot. Fucking idiot, boy. Or as Brad would say, fucking idiot. Fuck. Or he'd say, fucking idiot, bro. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's self-censored. Okay. Uh, Hello, Brad. Hey, Drew. Knock, knock. Who's there? I'm Anita. <laughs> I'm Anita who? I'm going to need you to suck my dick off. <laughs> There's been no one for so long. Who are you? Oh, God. Not you. Not you. Oh God! No! No! This is what happens. My favorite part is when a girl yells, I fucking hate Star Wars. <laughs> it's so funny because they tried to make that trilogy like for the ladies and it didn't happen for them. Nope. Uh, so if you couldn't guess by the intro, it's just us three dry dicked boys. This is this episode. <laughs> Me, Haven and Drew. There's uh, there's no Donovan. There's no Manny. There's no history and there's no culture. No diversity. No, no culture or diversity. <laughs> So it's just gonna be three white dudes talking about three Polacks, uh, Disney properties. <laughs> <laughs> Who gives a fucking shit? Yeah, <laughs> well said, David. All right, um, Drew, you want to uh, tip us off? You had some thoughts on. Uh, I mean, I, I have some stuff I can go into that's not as dry dicked, but <laughs> we can start being dry dick if you want to. Oh, about a uh, book of Band of Fett. About your favorite TV show. I like. I like the little BD. <laughs> <laughs> He's so nice. He's so very nice. I like the BD. I do like how you can tell that they shot this during COVID because there's only ever like two or three people in one scene at once. And even when they're wearing masks, it's like, yeah, they, they, they can't have that many people on set at the same time. Yeah. So you're going to see a lot of like sparsely populated areas. Because the only time you saw a bunch of people was that one group of like the dog people and everything. So those Yeah, are you're right. They all have masks. masks. Yeah. yeah. And they sound like uh, Star Trek The Next Generation characters because they have the rubber masks on. So they're like, listen, they're trying to talk through the masks. <laughs> like, listen, we can work this out. Like, if we make them bulldogs, we, we know we can't understand them anyways. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want to talk about better television programming. Um, now that we scared off all the all the girls who might be listening to this, <laughs> and we just are left with the fellas. So I beat Disco Elysium. 
mm-hmm. uh, the detective game, and it got me on a real deep detective dive yeah. into other stuff. Because I'm like, I'm anytime I get into something like that, I'm like, yeah, let me let me watch some programming. This and so I watched the first two seasons of True Detective again. I'm getting ready to watch the third, and first of all, That's, it rules. Yeah. Um, I feel like I could be. Every time I watch it, I'm like, damn, dude, I wish I was a detective. I wish I could, like, you know, be good at something, like, that got me out of the house and, and you know, <laughs> off of, off of like, a chair. And, you know, I, I feel like I would only be good at the detective stuff that's, like, sad and pathetic. So, like, the day drinking, the gambling. The, the day drinking, the spousal neglect, <laughs> um, the... You know the the shitty relationships with anybody who isn't in that world, uh, the the constant smoking, being a dirty cop and taking bribes yeah, and like people. beating up journalists for writing uh, bad exposés on the the new casino that Vince Vaughn's trying to open, and then going to a bar and just saying it's done, and then having him slide me an envelope full of cash, buying new shoes for my kid, and like going to pick him up, and he he's like, oh they they. They cut up my shoes, and then you go to the kid who cut up your shoes, and you beat the shit out of his dad in front of him. <laughs> like, I'd be I'd be good at all that stuff, but the actual detection and like police work, I'd be awful. You want at. me to do what? Yeah, I don't want to look at these <laughs> crime scene photos. This is disgusting. Ew, no, gross. This person's dead. I'm not gonna look at that. It smells bad. So it just made me think about um, like living in a twelve by six motel room. There's a place in New Smyrna called the White Bird Motel and Trailer Park. I've seen that place. I've, I passed that a lot. I've always <laughs> just imagined what kind of people stay there because, honest to God, they're like eight by six hovels. They're like little huts that people live in, and they're the size of like the from like that little hallway between your garage and the kitchen. That's good for the audio audience. Um, but, but, <laughs> but, but yeah, they uh, yeah, they're very very small, and I just imagine the kind of person who lives in there. You go like. You show up to pick up your kid at school. Your your kid's like, no, dad, it's not your weekend. And then his stepdad's there and he's being nice to you, even though you fucking hate him. <laughs> and, uh, it, you know, it's your job to bring orange slices to like soccer practice. You just show up way late and drunk with a bunch of like dented Chef Boyardee that you heated up on a Sterno hot plate <laughs> on your way over. And then the guy's like, you smell like Sterno. You need to leave. <laughs> Have you been drinking it? <laughs> no, no, just cooking with a little bit. Yeah, what's the last meal you had that wasn't grocery store hard boiled eggs and beer pretzels? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so I just I feel like I could be good at that stuff, like being a really shitty parent. Yeah, and uh, ex husband. So you just want to be a neglectful spouse and get paid for it? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I, I want to be like a, I just want to be in my own world <laughs> and, and 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 just have everything work out your be way. Be an alcoholic, but be in a romanticized version of alcoholism. <laughs> that doesn't exist anymore. The real like noir style. You want to build the whiskey? It's 9 a.m. Throw an egg in it and call her breakfast. Whores coming into the <laughs> office, like trying to get me off of the case and telling them. And trying to get you off. Yeah. And then be like, no, bitch, I'm solving this murder. She's caught up in it too. Basically, Bob Hoskins and Who Framed Roger Rabbit is who I would actually end up being. <laughs> so I, I wouldn't be a good detective. The end of the game, Disco Elysium, made me really sad. I still recommend you guys play I'm it. I'm guessing so, you, you die. No, you don't. You, uh, you solve the case, but it's very depressing. Yeah. And it, you see a lot of yourself in your main character because the choices you make over the course of the game are so like grounded in a sense of the game's reality that you, and the characters are so well developed and written that you can't help but feel for them. So you make decisions based on how you would 
make a decision with these characters in reality because yeah. Like, so you follow the story and be like, well, my guy would do this instead of what you would actually. Want. No, no, no. The opposite. You do what you would actually do because you're so compelled by these well-written characters. Ah. You really throw yourself into the game, and then when you listen to them like summing up your experience, you feel very, very like. Man, I am a piece of shit. You feel called out, yeah. <laughs> but you did the best you could, and you still couldn't find the gun that you lost, but it's okay, because you stopped a woman from killing herself with what was probably your gun. Did <laughs> you, you imagine a game where it's like a girlfriend that just tells you everything you do wrong that points out all your mistakes? I think they made one. I think it was called Catherine. <laughs> they made a, a weird what? Japanese like plat, like puzzle platformer style thing. I'm glad it, it's a puzzle. <laughs> yeah, it was about being in love with a woman. I never played it, but there's uh, like a, a waifu that you try to impress, and then you're just like a pe- like the main character. I think on the cover of the game is just like this nerdy looking anime guy yeah. with boxers, and he's always like blushing, and and his hair is always fucked up. <laughs> oh my God, who yeah. wants to play that game? You apparently you brought it up. No. <laughs> oh, speaking of games, somebody stole my idea and made a Pokemon shoot 'em up game. This thing called Pokemon X FPS came out. It was like a fan-made thing. Remember what I was talking about? Yeah. The Pokemon. Yeah, it was like a couple weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but they didn't have the same, like, story implications that I had in it. See, like, I, I wanted you to have some backstory. Like, you're a dentist in Pokeworld going on safari and trying to get your kid to kill an animal while he's crying and you're you, calling you him a pussy. set up like the backstory be really asshole and dicks yeah, to like again, killing these cute innocent creatures. I'm an alcoholic father <laughs> and I'm taking my kid who's way too young to be using a gun. This could be part of your detective story. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm telling him. Someone's is, been killing Pokemon. This is the only one. This is the only way you're going to be a man. Kill that Raichu. <laughs> right fucking now. And he's like weeping and stuff. He's like, oh, what is it? You're like, do it pussy. See that squirtle? <laughs> Stab it in the eye. Pokemon X FPS is a first, this is from Arogood, I don't know. A R O G E D almost looks like Agrode, but that's not how that's spelled. It's a video game website, so who fucking cares? Um, Pokemon X FPS is a first person shooter set in the world of Pokemon developed with the Unreal Engine. Nintendo uh, wow, this is really poorly written. Nintendo, he didn't take his existence well. <laughs> he is trying to delete it. Although with all of his videos spread across YouTube and Twitter, was this written? In, I'm, surpri- I'm surprised Nintendo is a he. Was this was this written by the same people who wrote all those malignant uh, reviews? Probably. And that like tweet farm in, in like Bangladesh. Um, Dragon underscore Game Dev Two, the author of Pokemon XFPS, has been working on the game for just over a month. I'm only reading it from this website because the only other article that I found was on Kotaku, and I refuse to read anything from that fucking rag. Why? What's Kotaku? It's just a shitty gaming news website. It's under like the Gizmodo. Used to be um, not BuzzFeed. What's the other one? They got in a lawsuit with Hulk Hogan, and they lost. Anyway, it's mm, a, the parent company's trash. Really, they really the parent company's shitty. So. Ah. And this one probably is too. Apparently they're exploiting third world labor. <laughs> so it's all good. Despite the graphic similarities with the titles of the series, in particular with Pokemon Snap. Hey, hey, there's my idea. Here the monsters of the Pokemon company should not be captured or photographed, but gutted with firearms. <laughs> also because they are much more aggressive than the initial ones, than the original ones. Bathed in the blood of a Bulbasaur. <laughs> Although the project is still in its infancy, a few clips of, of the game were enough to drive the fans crazy, who obviously can't wait to spread Pokemon blood. <laughs> <laughs> As tradition has it, Nintendo did not appreciate the project very much and started having Pokemon X FPS clips removed from YouTube and Twitter. Not only that, actually, because it was... T- this is so weirdly written. Not only that, actually, because it was also targeted tweets with clip highlights. I'm reading this exactly how it's written. <laughs> 
The only way to see it in action is to go straight to Reddit, no thank you, where the original post is. Uh, as usual, Nintendo made no distinctions and targeted this non-profit amateur project that will likely remain in the prototype stage as developing a full FPS would take years. Also, I never understand with these people when they have fan projects, they do these big releases when they're like years out from finishing it. Yeah. There was like a Metroid game that was going to come out that was all fan-made. And they were like, here it is. Here's the first level. We're going to be hard at work for the next couple of years. And immediately it's like, oh, Nintendo just hit us with the... Like, don't say anything until it's done. Put it up. Let it spread across the internet. Let everybody download it for free. Then when Nintendo takes it down, it becomes shareware. Like old school Doom, and people would just give you a floppy disk, and it would have Doom on it. I mean, obviously, you guys don't remember that, but you would get a floppy disk with I had Doom. Floppy dicks. <laughs> Good one. Uh, you would get a floppy disk with Doom on it, and then you would plug it into your computer and load it up and play the shit out of it. Yeah, that's the only way you could get it because you weren't going to be able to buy, get your parents to buy it for you. Do you think they're trying to do that as a way to like hoping Nintendo sees it and like ask them to come on and be like, "You can work for us. This is great." That would be really dumb of them. Yeah. That's like the, that's not the way that Nintendo works at all. Like Nintendo does what Nintendo does, and that's it. Like they're not gonna cop to. Can you handhold your microphone? I can't see Drew's face. It's okay. bothering me. Um, yeah, Nintendo. Hi, Kyle. Hi, Drew. Um, Nintendo doesn't like hire people like that. They're not like the Lucasfilm people where they're like, wow, you did our job better for us. Let's get you I on board. I know that, but these people making the games aren't like, you know, rocket scientists either. They don't know how the world really works. I mean, like, yeah. what do you mean? If they're just spending all their time sitting in a garage like for two years saying, this game is coming out, wait till you see this. Oh, you're talking this. about the homebrew developers. Yeah. I think they're just overly ambitious and excited to, I, I said this thing recently to somebody who was like working with me on a project, like I'm like, don't be so proud of what you've made <laughs> initially and like spread it around too much because A, you'll probably be, you'll probably be in, it's not an indictment of the quality of work, but it might be embarrassing to you to look back on it and see it. And B, like nobody's going to care unless it's done and as close to presentable as possible. Unless they're just Nintendo fans, which if you slap a logo, <laughs> the right logo on anything, they're just like, hell yes, give me more. <laughs> You know, epic win. You're just those <laughs> fucking idiot Reddit people. I thought that was going to turn into, don't be proud of what you did because you're a failure. <laughs> I thought that's where you were heading. Not that harsh, but <laughs> having less pride is a good, like having less pride in your work is not good, but having less pride for your work to the point where it's like you're being too prideful. That's what I say is like, just don't, don't go running around and telling everybody about it just because you think. Everyone's going to love a, it. They're going to... Yeah, it's I'm amazing. Because awesome. you're obviously you're excited about something that you put time into and worked on. But show it to a select group of people that can critique it first and then release it wide once it's done because then it can't get taken down. And if it does, it's already spread. People already are like playing it and downloading it. Mm -hmm. Like once you download it, other people will share it on other websites. Like Nintendo can take stuff down. It's like Duck Hunt. But when the duck goes away, <laughs> if it flies away too quick... They didn't get it. Like the, if the website that they, if you know, they didn't see it in time, a bunch of people already downloaded it and now they can't go after those individual people. Yeah. Um, they can only go after like the people who hosted it or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, like there was a case in Australia where a guy leaked Super Mario Galaxy 2 early and Nintendo hit him with a lawsuit and he ended up owing them like 
millions of dollars. Jeez. And he's like, st- he's and he released a blog post. He's like, I'm going to be paying this the rest of my life. My it's just God. so crazy to me. Like a billion dollar company like Nintendo is like, where's our check, Bro. bitch? <laughs> like uh, they sued for damages on a game Surprise, that would have sold bajillions of copies anyway. Like legitimately, people who pirate stuff don't normally buy stuff. They don't make money off it either, really, unless it's no. Like- but what they're saying is, if you put this out in the world and somebody downloads it illegally, that person is not going to the store to buy our product, so we lost money. But what the reality is. If somebody da- downloads something illegally, they were already not the type of person who was going to go to the store and download and yeah. buy it. Like they're not going to buy the game because they just pirate things. It's not like it stole a sale. People who are pirating things don't buy things usually. That's a good point. Very rare is it to find somebody who like, I really want to buy this, but it's out early, so I, I'm going to download it. They're like, no, I'll wait for the release, or they'll just like watch clips of it and like be excited about it. You know, the only time that that's not and like think about it like Star Wars fans like. If you if you leak something like a full episode of like Mandalorian season three early, they're gonna watch the shit out of it. But you better believe when the new season hits, they're keeping their Disney Plus subscription. They're yeah. watching it the right way too. Like it's not gonna steal any sales or whatever. Uh, so all this I said it, I've said it before. All this J.J. Abrams inspired secrecy over <laughs> shit that comes out and gets forgotten about in a month is so stupid. Yeah, and the only no reason it happens is because with the like instant memory holding of everything because of how quickly stuff gets like digested by culture through the social media engine and the, you know, the way we view things now, if they were to leak stuff or show stuff too early, by the time the thing came out, there would not be a tremendous buzz. A, a film like Spider-Man, no direction home or was the, the Bob Dylan <laughs> Spider-Man movie. <laughs> like a Spider-Man, like a Rolling Stone would not have done as much social media, like epicness if there were trailers ahead of time showing Toby weird face and Andrew Garfield <laughs> doing stuff. But now there's a bunch of people standing for a new amazing Spider-Man movie and mm-hmm. like go back and watch those first two movies. They suck balls, yeah. but there's because it was hidden from them and then it came out and then they're like, Oh, I'm excited about this. It's like, you're tricked. If you put something out there too early and people actually have time to put aside their excitement and to put aside their hype and to judge it on its own merits, the, the people making this stuff have to work a lot harder, and they don't want to do that. Find these missing jokes on the extended version of this episode, along with weekly bonus episodes on patreon.com slash altreemedia. Do it. And he doesn't immediately go, well, that's fucking racist. <laughs> He's like, he, that's like a driving force to the next scene. Yeah, you, you gotta know? be a special kind of person to get to it like that. There's, but there is a guy, there are a group of guys out there who watch that and go like, I, I feel the same way, lady. Like, like they, look, if we had President Deals back, this wouldn't be happening. President Deals? <laughs> President Deals, man. He's closing them. <laughs> what the, where did that come from? What? President Deals. Trump? Yeah. He closes deals, dude. He makes deals. Well, he's he's always making deals. He's a businessman. Yeah. He had a whole show about it. Yeah, dude. You don't know how many deals he makes? Yeah. I want to stab myself yeah. with a railroad spike through my temple. He, he makes deals, dude. He's uh, he. We're, I'm so tired of winning because of the deals that he makes. <laughs> We've just been on a hot streak, dude. Speaking of which, I filed my taxes today. I'm getting a fat zero dollars and zero cents back. Really? Yeah. Oh, that fucking sucks. Yeah. I guess so, I I got to keep the move the money over the course of the year. I guess, but it's it was a kick to the balls. I was expecting yeah. some money, but what's the most you've ever gotten from like a tax return? Like twenty five hundred. 
Nice. Yeah. That was when I was working at shitty places, though. So they would take out Mo- way more, way than, what more than what was needed. And so you'd get most of that back at the end of the year. And now th- I literally just completely broke even. Like I didn't know Fuck. anything. I wasn't owed anything. Either. That's really yeah. sucks. It what sucked, about you, dude. Drew? I think it was. So I got all the stimulus checks up to that point from mm-hmm. the beginning of the pandemic. On top of my tax return, it was like a $5,000 tax return. Damn. That's tight, dude. Damn. So, enough of this uh, talking about reactionary politics. Let's talk about a fellow by the name of Barry Seal. Barry? Barry Seal. Barry? He was one of the main drug smugglers oh. of the 70s and 80s. Did Clint Eastwood make a movie about him? No, but Tom Cruise <laughs> did. And Tom Cruise plays Barry Seal. Um, now you know what Tom Cruise looks like—a midget. The listener. Well, I mean, he's <laughs> he's a Hollywood he's a Hollywood handsome kind of guy. He's a Hollywood handsome midget. But um, oh Hollywood handsome. Yeah, he's a Hollywood handsome. Ah. And he plays him handsomely in the film. Yeah, yeah. Now here, uh, the listener can look up a picture of Barry Seal. But here's Barry Seal. <laughs> <laughs> so he got uh, <laughs> he, he got a good deal, dude. He looks like Archie Bunker. <laughs> Uh, so he literally is, looks like the human Mr. Potato Head yeah. <laughs> without the mustache. With a 70s haircut. Oh, God. So there's an article on uh, thegentlemansjournal.com. The incredible story of Barry Seal, the man who worked for both the CIA and Pablo Escobar. Uh, some stories are stranger than fiction. And though the tale of Barry Seal, drug smuggler, double crosser, pilot extraordinaire, has now been transformed into a, a raucous Hollywood caper with Tom Cruise at the helm. Tom Cruise didn't direct it. Helm is the director. Y- yeah. yeah, this guy doesn't know what he's talking. Okay, anyway, <laughs> he's got to get his Hollywood Reporter lingo straight. Uh, the true story would be too outlandish for even the most imaginative screenwriter to pen. Uh, so, who is Barry Seal? I'm just going to go through this, and we'll we'll stop and break for our thoughts and stuff yeah. as we go through this. Uh, Barry Seal was a talented pilot who, in the early 1980s, was one of the principal importers of cocaine into North America via a remote airstrip in the backwater of Arkansas, a place where who do we know who was governor of Arkansas during that time? Why are you looking at me? Do we know? I don't think. He's the learned man. I think you know who it was. <laughs> oh, sh- oh, oh, shit. shit. Yeah, was, uh, oh, shit, I, I, man. Think, I think we know who it was. <laughs> but that wasn't always the plan. Born in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, <laughs> in 1939. Uh, my scrimp. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Seal developed a love of flying at a very young age. Who cares? Uh, got a Cessna. Okay, so he was in. He was a, he was an airline pilot. Uh, according to Seal's wife Deborah, the pilot started moving small amounts of marijuana across the border by plane in about 1975. By 1978, however, Seal had graduated to cocaine, largely because, in his own words, coke was pound for pound more profitable than cannabis. And there were many pounds. On each journey, <laughs> on his favorite route from Nicaragua to Louisiana, Barry was said to move. one that uh, like, <laughs> I want to know his second favorite route. Like, if he has, like, a fucking list, or just, like. <laughs> I'm sure he had, like, plan, like backup plans. And, like, when someone just, like, what's your favorite route? It's just, like, ah, I don't got a favorite. You know, I like to go over Georgia, stop yeah. in at Kentucky. <laughs> Barry was said to move 1,000 to 1,500 kilos of cocaine. That was a joke to him, said John Roberts, a veteran smuggler of the 1970s Coke Road. He'd work at the drop of a hat, and he didn't care. He'd get in his plane, and he'd go down there and throw 1,000 kilos on the plane and come back to Louisiana. Uh, Soon, Seal's talent and sheer bravado had attracted the attention of the the Medellin Medellin cartel. I don't want to say that wrong, and... 
Have them fuck me up, but uh, <laughs> M E D E L L I N, Medellin Cartel. I, uh, okay, I can't pronounce things. And their mogul leader, Pablo Escobar. <laughs> it was on Escobar's suggestion that Seal move forward the, his favorite airstrip from Louisiana to West Arkansas. And it was on a particularly heavy loaded trip carrying Medellin. Car- carrying, carrying cocaine, carrying cocaine <laughs> that seal finally got busted by DEA foot soldiers. The pilot was charged with conspiracy to distribute 462 pounds of cocaine with an estimated street value of 168 million. It should have put him away for life, but seal saw a way out. Now, what do you think happened? Knowing what you know about the CIA, um, the culture of, uh, dirty undercover type stuff that happens at, at higher levels of, of government agencies. What do you think happened when the DEA got him, fellas? A fat envelope. He cut a deal. Yeah, he sang like a canary. He cut a deal. After his sentencing, the SEAL approached the DEA and offered to cooperate with the government as an informant, claiming that he was perhaps best placed to shine a light on the cartel operations in North America, Colombia, and Nicaragua. To best entrap their prey, the DEA instructed SEAL to carry on with business as usual and to fly various smuggling routes. They loaded his plane up with high-tech surveillance equipment, including the most expensive cryptic radio communications we have ever seen at the time. So looking back, it was probably like a, like a speaking spell. Yeah, like the iPhone like the walkie-talkie the equiv- <laughs> Yeah, the equivalent of what would go into a speaking spell. Uh, according to DA agent uh, Ernest Jacobson, on his first trip, Seal was able to snap photographs of Cuban officials, Nicaraguan soldiers, and Sandinista government officers hauling duffel bags of cocaine on and off of his plane. Seal even brought back a snap of the then-mythical Pablo Escobar, swaddled in his signature striped polo shirt. Seal's intel transformed him into the most significant witness in the U.S. war on drugs almost overnight. It also made him a sitting duck for the Medellin cartel and their many associates around the world. So what this article is skipping over a huge part of, and I find it kind of interesting, is during the Reagan administration, the, uh, Nicaragua played a pretty big deal um, have you ever seen the episode of, you, this is something Haven might know, there's an episode of American <laughs> Dad yeah, where Stan, Stan's looking for Ollie North's yeah. gold. Okay. <laughs> and they do a Schoolhouse Rock style song about the, the Oliver North case. Yeah. What was happening was Reagan was through a series of other people, like, you know, um, working on his behalf. Mm-hmm. He was arming soldiers in Nicaragua to fight like a, like a communist up, uprising that was happening down yeah. there. Uh, in exchange, he was letting them fly cocaine into the United States, where he also had his cake and ate it too because then they did the whole war on drugs thing. <laughs> so it was like he was like facilitating this stuff to happen through the CIA. And people who love Reagan will be like, well, that happened without his consent and, and he didn't know about it. And, you know, he was he was riddled with Alzheimer's at the time. And then <laughs> then the next breath, they'll also say, like, he was also the greatest American president yeah. we ever had. And he was super smart. He's a genius. He was the original President Deals. He literally was. He was, he, he, would, he, would, he was the guy who made deals and the whole Morning in America speech when he was like, well, be as rich as you want and fuck the middle class. You know, like, there's, there's poor people and then there's you. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody can be a little micro capitalists. Like and, a fucking Tony Robbins. Make a fuckload of money. Yeah, was, he's just basically like a motivational speaker. <laughs> um, so, meanwhile, I'm going to ignore the AIDS crisis. So, uh, <laughs> the, so he was arming. I'm going off of pure memory, so I might have details wrong. By the way, Caitlin let me know that I got some facts about the biblical stories last week. Wildly incorrect. It was Job who God fucked over to prove a point to the <laughs> devil. And it was Lot who... Uh, let 
a gang of villagers run a train on his daughters. So it was two so, people. So you so just merged it. Yeah, I merged them into one on accident. Yeah, Lot was the guy who, uh, who was like, "Hey, fuck my daughters!" Instead of the <laughs> angels that are in the house, for whatever reason. But I mean, still the same thing. I mean, it's horrible, fucked up. Yeah, who shit. cares who it was? Yeah, <laughs> job, job, whatever. So anyway, that's what he was working in conjunction with the CIA. It's been said, and it's true, there are certain elements within these organizations that, like, operate doing their own thing. And as soon as the the lid gets blown, everything just gets shredded and burned. Mm -hmm. And that's what's so funny in the movie, which obviously is not super accurate, but, it, like, at least paint the, paints the picture of the fact that Barry Seal was working with the CIA to make this stuff happen. He was just getting rich as fuck off of it. Like, uh, because he was just, you know, selling all this. All these so he'd go to the CIA and be like, listen, I need this. Well, and the CIA then like came to him. him they, they were like, you're smuggling drugs into the country. You're, you're fucked. You're going away for life. Yeah. Unless you, on your way down, you're going to bring guns to arm the people that are going to fight the communists. On your way back, we'll look the other way when you bring coke. <laughs> And drop it into, you know, Clinton's backyard. Not yeah. not literally his backyard, but like his neck drop of, it. His neck <laughs> his neck of the woods. But his uh, neighbor's backyard and yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Maybe his uh, across the street neighbor's yeah. mailbox and. Uh, and there's a wonderful scene in the movie where uh, the the DEA finally gets him and he's just like grinning. Tom Cruise is like, "You guys don't have me." He's like, "You guys are fucking idiots." He's like, "I'll buy you every one of you a Rolls Royce if you let me out of here." And they're like, "Fuck you, you're." <laughs> <laughs> trying to bribe us. And he's like, okay, all right, that's fine. And then the district attorney comes out and she's like, let him go. She's like, I just got a call from Governor Clinton. Just let him go. <laughs> I heard you got my buddy down there. Rolled up in his new Rolls Royce. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need you to let him go. <laughs> all right, I'm off uh, to an island with a friend of mine. <laughs> but I feel like if you're a guy who has your own plane like that, like it's that kind of shit's bound to happen where you're going to just like fly shit. For people who pay you enough, because what else are you going to do if you have a fucking plane? Yeah, it seems kind of like... I'm up in the sky just because. But how are you going to yeah. pay for all that it's gas? Just, it, oh, it's fun to take my life into my own hands yeah. and, and fly places. Like, no, you're going to be doing... That's Harrison money. Ford. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if he's ever smuggled coke. That'd be funny. <laughs> he's probably smuggled pot up there. Yeah. No, he's definitely getting high up. Oh, my God. This reminds me of a story. Uh, when I lived with a, uh, a friend of mine from high school first like two years of college he would have these lunatic people come through <laughs> because he he did a lot of drugs and yeah. he would have these crazy you know like get togethers like drug socials yes and this <laughs> this girl came and she was wearing an Embry Riddle uniform and she was smoking an insane amount of pot and I also watched her do a lot of cocaine and I was like ah. I was like so how's school going and she's like, she's like she's like great she's like I'm gonna be an airline pilot she's like, she's like by the way by the way I have uh, a From I have a I have a friend who's gonna let me take his plane out uh, do you guys want to take a plane and I was like you know being play I was like yeah maybe sometimes she's like yeah, if you do drugs up, up at really high altitudes, it hits you way faster. Yeah, and I'm like, I feel safe. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> horrific. I was like, isn't that dangerous? She's like, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah dude, she, was, that's, she was a nutter. That's fucking frightening. Yeah. My God. But I guess, I mean, like, I mean, you got to last one way or another uh, if you're flying from Japan to... I don't think doing coke is the safe one. I mean, yeah, it's like, let's do it in shifts. Five hour know? energy. <laughs> that's yeah. the difference. So, do you want to guess how it ended for old Barry Seal? 
Uh, he's probably on an island, I'm guessing. Oh, no. Try again. Drew, you want to take it? Uh, is he guess? dead? Yeah, he's dead, buddy. Oh, uh, yeah. He's, oh. Cartel got him? With his reliable, yes, with his reliability, <laughs> with his reliability as an informant vindicated, Sia was awarded a, a re-sentence of five years probation. Unfortunately, he was also slapped with an arbitrary six months house arrest order by a disgruntled local judge in Louisiana who felt aggravated that a federal court had the final say. But by announcing to the world the Barry Seal's precise location for the next six months, the judge had effectively <laughs> signed a death warrant too. Which that judge knew what they were doing. <laughs> they knew He's what like, they come were doing. Get him. Yeah, it's like here he is, bud. <laughs> On February 19th, 1986, while working outside a Salvation Army facility as part of a court order, Seal was machine gunned to death by assassins of the Medellin cartel. And it was grisly and slightly pathetic end for a man who enjoyed life. I was mean to call it pathetic. Uh, and <laughs> he was he was basically like forced to work at a Goodwill, fold, like folding the incoming like, like piss-soaked cum-stained wow. jackets. And, uh, and he got gunned down on his way out. The exciting thing to me is to get yourself into a life-threatening situation, Seal said in a final TV interview shortly before his death. Now that's excitement. Like spoken like a man who's done so much coke that he just can't. Do, like there's a, you can't think straight. In True Detective season two, there's a character who's got like PTSD from being like a Blackwater military guy, and in the show he just rides his motorcycle 100 miles an hour down PCH and at night and turns off his headlamps and he's just like <laughs> only time i feel something yeah this is the, this is the only time i can come <laughs> but yeah so i don't know why it just gr uh, glosses over that whole thing but the reason he went and took those pictures was because he was working with the CIA already. Yeah. And they were already looking the other way on all the drug stuff that he was doing. They were like, you get the guns down there. And then he was also taking, if the movie is to be believed, I haven't done all my research mm -hmm. because who fucking cares? <laughs> yeah. I'm a learned man. Um, so they were just like arming these people to fight like a Fuck. proxy war. <laughs> And there was also, I think there was like oil wells and, you know, mines that had a lot of rare earth minerals and stuff. So it's yeah, America it, stuff. It's yeah. always America stuff. Yeah. Right. It's, it, we're just doing America stuff. <laughs> that's all we were doing. We were just keeping it real. We were making certain kinds of deals and that's all we were doing. So it's, a, it's the same story. It's it tales all this time, dude. Involved, fucking, yeah, it's America. If something that caught, it's something that can make people rich is involved that isn't directly like frowned upon by the majority of the population so you won't like lose clout politically you're going to use the full power of the United States like government and military to go get it <laughs> there's no doubt about that like like that's that's what our empire does it's a big hand that reaches out and goes mine yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let me let me get let me get oh you got that i want it mm -hmm. so so yeah that's uh that's old Barry seal fuck if i was him i would have just killed myself in my plane Instead, like, That'd giving cool. the cartel a chance. Yeah. Crash like, yourself into a swamp in Louisiana. Get, exactly. Just, get all ate up by my gator, man. <laughs> Damn old gator got me, man. But, like, at the very last second, I would, like, send out a beacon. So this way the cartel would just, like, waste their time. That's that's smart. One last fuck you. Yeah. Until, as, until they come to get your family and, like, burn them in an oil drum. That's like, true. So it's better if you just disappear without, like, you just kill yourself and don't like tell anyone. McConaughey and True Detective, he's like, the cartel... They strap you to a chair so you can't with duct tape so you can't move. <laughs> they cut along your scalp and peel your face off off of your head. And they hold up a mirror so you can see it. <laughs> Chop off your genitals and jam them down your throat until you <laughs> choke to death on your own on your own blood. <laughs> on your own balls. While you're watching it all. So yeah. Bullet to the head. It ain't dying. <laughs> <laughs> that show's great. You guys should definitely watch it. Damn, where's it on? HBO.
HBO Max. Yeah, HBO Max. Mm-hmm. Do you need me to stand up and shout it at you? Please. <laughs> he just got a heart on. <laughs> yeah, he was like, I love HBO. <sighs> Peacemaker's <Yes>. great. <laughs> so, yeah, so let's talk about something a little lighter. Do you guys want to talk about a con man who claimed to discover the North Pole? Yes. Or something called the Great Stink of London? Great Stink. Of, let's go with Great Stink of London. She was like, I got a lot to talk about stink. You want that doo-doo tip. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. This comes from our friends at Wikipedia. Uh, so there's a, there's a great image on Wikipedia of what <laughs> death rowing a boat in a river of shit. <laughs> Wait, the personification of death? Yeah, like Bro- like, like like skull and <laughs> Oh my, is that like a an old time drawing? That's what they did back then? No, yeah, that was from, like from last week from, and they updated it on Wikipedia. It's called The Silent Highway Man and it's an 1858 uh drawing. <laughs> I love the name. Yeah. The Great Stink was an event in central London in July and August 1858, during which the hot weather exacerbated the smell of untreated human waste and industrial effluent that was present on the banks of the River Thames. The problem had been mounting for some years with an aging and inadequate sewer system that emptied directly into the Thames. Uh, throwing just buckets of shit out your window onto the street. It got that. old. That's shit where we drink. Yeah. The miasma fr- from the effluent <laughs> w- was thought to transmit contagious diseases and three outbreaks of cholera before the great stink were blamed on the ongoing problems with the river. Oh, who would have fucking thought? The city, <laughs> city planning back then would have been so funny. It would have just been like, oh. you know, like, like, do you have a degree in anything? Like, we don't have those yet. No, like, I got bricks and concrete <laughs> yeah. in the back. I've got, I'm, a, uh, I'm a cobbler, but I can also uh, do my own masonry. <laughs> <laughs> if you look at the houses, and you, Drew, you've been to uh, London. You there have? Different, there are different, like, areas in London that are just completely different architecturally. Oh, yeah, from totally. The other. There's, like, there was a, it, it was a very small area. But like it looked almost just like a, like a miniature area of just like castle ruin. Right. It had like a beautiful brick atrium yeah. in it with like a fountain in the middle. It was beautiful. And then like around it was like fucking what you'd see in New York. Right. Like it, apartment like buildings. It, was, it was a hard ass contrast. Like you could see the line and where they cut and planning. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like from <laughs> brick to plywall. Yeah, exactly. Plywall. <laughs> Plywood drywall. Yeah, same thing. <laughs> plywall. <laughs> Time brick, is money. <laughs> brick sewers had been built in London from the 17th century when sections of the Fleet and Walbrook rivers were covered for that purpose. Oh, yeah, I thought it said converted. I can't read. It said covered. In the century preceding 1856, over 100 sewers were constructed in London, and at that date, the city had around 200,000 cesspits uh, <laughs> and 360 cess- sewers. Let's go to the page for that's, cesspits. That sounds disgusting. Like, like, that's where okay, all the like, homeless people like go to cesspool shit. Cesspool? <laughs> that's what, is cesspit so- or cesspool or soak pit in some context. <laughs> soak pit? That's where you drown them in feces. That's where Mormons go swimming. That dude. doesn't even sound like... <laughs> I'm going in for a soak. That, that doesn't even sound like drowning. That sounds like relaxing in it. Jesus like, Christ. Just like, like you some, sit on top and it takes like four minutes for you to sink down to like, the bottom. Like some shirtless fucking oh country God. club man is going to dip his ass in there. Yeah. Just, it's, like, it's basically, <laughs> I love the cross section, hatch, going top to bottom, hatch, surface scum, inlet, <laughs> and sediment. So it's basically just a septic tank that doesn't, get cleaned. 
<laughs> That's just constantly overflowing. Some cesspits leaked methane and other gases, which often caught fire and exploded. <laughs> so farts were leaking out of the ground and ex- causing explosions. <laughs> so England is so fucking funny, dude. My God. During the early 19th century, improvements have been undertaken. So this, this whole, it's like taking 2,000 years. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? To, to get things a little better. To decide that they needed a fucking city planner. Yeah. That sounds worse than the fucking city <laughs> on <laughs> fire. Oh. Improvements have been undertaken in the supply of water to Londoners. I guess we need uh, someone to help us stop this now, I guess. And by 1858, many of the city's medieval wooden water pipes, that's a great way to build them, were being replaced <laughs> with iron ones. This combined with the introduction of flushing... <laughs> and the rising of the city's population from just under 1 million to 3 million led to more water being flushed into the sewers. Although with the associated effluent, uh, the outflows from factories, slaughterhouses, and other industrial activities put further strain on the already failing. So just imagine you have old cow's blood and like pig shit, human shit, uh, you know, any and early, everything that can come out of the body. Early like, chemical style waste. Even like, like butcher like viscera. Yeah, right. It's like just rotting fat and sinew and <laughs> nerves and bunches of shit like that. Uh, like, oh, nerves. Basically, oh. <laughs> basically everything that goes into uh, like a McDonald's patty. <laughs> You know, that's, that's essentially that's what, how England got rid of it. They sent it to that's America. What, that's what, yeah, that's what pink slime is. Is all the, the stuff we just named. And you know? Ray Kroc said, "I'll take yeah, it. Let's do it." Uh, the scientist Michael Faraday described the situation in a letter to the Times in July 1855. Shocked at the state of the Thames, he dropped pieces of white paper into the river to quote test the degree of opacity. Oh. His conclusion was <laughs> in a second, not great. In a second, it just turned brown. Quote near the bridges. The the fesulence rolled up in clouds so dense that they were visible at the oh surface. Oh my god! Even in water of the of this kind, the smell was very bad. That's putting it mildly. And, <laughs> Boy, it's a and, little stinky. Common to the whole of the water, it was the same as what now comes up from the gully holes in the streets. So shit is seeping out like into the, the road. Yeah, it's, it's horrific. <laughs> the prevailing thought in Victorian healthcare concerning the transmission of contagious diseases was the miasma theory, which held that most communicable diseases were caused by inhalation of contaminated air. This you contamination think? could take the form of I open the window, love. <laughs> <laughs> That'll <laughs> help. Some fresh air. Get rid of these vapors. <laughs> and you like smell out the fresh air. It's like yeah. Oh, that smells. Uh, well, the, crap! Is that <laughs> shit? That's not the best. At the same time, you got the dude next to you, like throwing his shit out the fucking window into the cesspit. It's like, oh, I've been here for a while, love. I don't mind. <laughs> uh, the contamination could take the form of odor, uh, of rotting corpses or sewage, but also rotting vegetation or exhaled breath from someone already diseased. Miasma was believed by most to be the vector of transmission of cholera, which was on the rise in 19th century Europe. The disease was deeply feared by all because of the speed at which it could spread and its high fatality rates. So really, the plague never totally ended in Europe. No. <laughs> it just it kept going. It was just different. It took different <laughs> forms. Yeah, it just kept going. London evolved. Uh, London's first major cholera epidemic struck in 1831 when the disease claimed 6,536 victims. In 1848 to 49, there was a second outbreak at which 14,137 London residents died. Then there was followed by a further outbreak in 53 to 54 in which 10,738 died. Get a break. Ooh, this is interesting. During the second second outbreak, John Snow... 
A, Lon- <laughs> a London-based physician and bastard noticed that the rates of death were higher in those areas. You ain't no shit, Jon Snow. <laughs> Supplied by the, the Lambeth and the Southwalk and Vauxhall Water Companies. He, uh, he was also fighting White Walkers. In, in 1849, he established a paper on the mode of communication of cholera, which posited the theory that of the waterborne transmission of the disease. He sent it by Raven. Rather than the miasma theory, little attention was paid to the paper, mainly because the people working at the paper were having weird incestuous sex. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's enough Game of Thrones jokes. Okay, following the third cholera outbreak in 1854, Snow published uh, an update to his treatise after he focused on the effects in Broad Street, Soho. Snow had removed the handle from the local water pump, thus preventing access to contaminated water with the resulting fallen deaths. It was later... St- so literally... So he took away their water. <laughs> they had to have water stop in order to prove, hey, yeah, it's coming from the water. <laughs> Could you imagine, like, when you introduce a toilet to these people, like, what a fucking god you would be? That's the devil! <laughs> <laughs> That's the devil in that top tank. Where is he, Where is he taking that? <laughs> There's fucking ghoulies oh, he's in there. He's taking my shit. That's he's some taking, suspicious thing. Why yeah, can't he see my shit? He's taking me leavings. <laughs> <laughs> How am I supposed to piss it in half if he takes it away? <laughs> and Charles Dickens even wrote about it. The Thames was a deadly sewer in that place of fine, in place of a fine fresh river. In a letter to a friend, Dickens said, I can certify that the offensive smells, even in a short whiff, have been of most head and stomach distending nature. <laughs> While the social scientist and journalist George Goodwin wrote that, it, quote, in parts of the deposit is more than six feet deep on the oh. Thames foreshore and the whole of it is thickly impregnated with impure matter. That's <laughs> a, a nice way to put it. God. Damn, dude. In June 1858, the temperatures in the shade in London averaged between, I'm just going to do Fahrenheit because we're Americans, 93 to 97 degrees Fahrenheit, rising to 118 degrees Fahrenheit in in the sun. shit. Combined with the extended spell. devil shit. Yeah. If if he's taking his leavings. (laughs) (laughs) Combined Combined with the extended spell of dry weather, the level of the Thames dropped and raw effluent from the sewers remained in the banks of the river. Queen Victoria and Prince Albert, (laughs) <laughs> attempted to take ple- a pleasure cruise on the Thames, but this is my favorite part, but returned to the shore within a few minutes because the smell was so terrible. <laughs> so the queen and the prince were like, so Prince yes. Alba got Ken. <laughs> Somewhere Manny's smiling. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it was, it was pretty horrific, dude. I don't know how it got, uh, got solved, but there's a funny political cartoon about it. <laughs> Basil Glad as a sewer snake punch, eighteen eighty three, and it's got a guy who's presumably blamed for a lot of it in a political cartoon. <laughs> of and course, he has mutton chops. He looks like a snake. <laughs> yeah, is a snake like a shit shoot? I guess that's what yeah. it looks like. Yeah, I mean, sweet fucking Jesus, how do you how do you live next to that? Right. Like, I would fucking move London away from the river. Pick it up and move it somewhere exactly. else. Take London and push it over that, here. That's a big theme with how to solve these problems. Like, and that's like, it's so funny because like you build a city that's lasted since they like, it's been around forever and ever and ever. And they never thought like, hey, you know what? The Romans had irrigation and pipes and stuff. And it did kind of make them hit lead poisoning and go crazy. But they were pervs. But we don't need that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We stick with wood in here, love. <laughs> it's, it's, if it was good enough for the good Lord to be nailed to, it's good enough for me water pipes. <laughs> 
If it's good enough for little Tibby Steve right there, it's good enough for me. <laughs> we have anything else to say about the uh, Great Stank of London? It's pretty. Doesn't it? It's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> Funniest tragedy to ever happen. One of them. Yeah. I'm for shocked sure. that didn't happen in America. I mean, it might have. I think it might have happened on some level, but but like because it happened in <laughs> London. That's that's what makes it funnier. Let's see if there's a oh so they just developed better drainage systems. God, dude, Could you imagine having to like be the person that has to fix it? It's like, well, I'm the city planner now. They give you a shovel and like a little headlamp and be like, go. You're like elected into that position. <laughs> this shovel's got a fucking hole in it. Yeah. <laughs> the fuck is this, mate? <laughs> so the last thing I want to talk about today, a little uh, learned history, is something called the Cape York Meteorite. Mm. Now, before we rolled, that's a recording lingo for started recording. Uh, <laughs> we were talking about a fella. Uh, a, 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 a fraud and an all-around not that great guy named Robert Peary. A dickhead. So he, he has quite the uh, the portrait. I like these Wikipedia pictures. I mean, I'll, I'll find a way to embed them. We, into the we thing should maybe. get like an artist to do ours. <laughs> yeah. That's Robert Peary. Do you know who I'm talking he looks about? like if John I say, Hurt. Do you know who I'm talking about if I say the Iceman? Yeah. Like the guy that like fucking tortures himself in ice. <laughs> That's what he looks like. So this guy... He one of the, the thing he's probably most famous for is being widely assumed to have lied about being the first person in the North Pole. Like <laughs> it, it's like the like the equivalent of like taking a selfie somewhere, like be, or like being on a mission trip and taking a picture of yourself holding like uh, like a bag of canned goods with a person in a third world country <laughs> and being like, "This is me being a good person," you know. Like, but he 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 was just camping out in Colorado. <laughs> he was the only person on the expedition to the North Pole who knew how to use a sextant, which meant that he was the only person who knew how to navigate him where they actually were. So nobody else could, like, call him on his bullshit or attest to the fact that they weren't actually there. Yeah. It's widely assumed that he went to just a northern-ish part of Greenland and snapped a picture and said, good, All right, good job, boys, we did it, and then headed back. <laughs> um, people said who knew him said that he was just kind of, like, an asshole. <laughs> and there's a, uh, there's a section on his Wikipedia page that leads me to believe they were right. Um, so there's, you know, there's a the normal stuff like some expeditions claiming to reach the North pole, uh, later life and death, marriage and family. And then there's a section called treatment of the Inuit. <laughs> so <laughs> imagine if you had a, 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 a pl- thing on your Wikipedia page that was like Haven, his, oh, his treatment of the Native Americans. <laughs> <laughs> his treatment of small I'm dogs. it's not there because it's good. <laughs> right. Perry has received criticism for his treatment of the Inuit, for fathering children with uh, Alakwasana and bringing back a small group to the United States along with the Cape York meteorite, which was a significant local importance to the Imperi sold for $40,000 in ni- 1897. So the Cape York meteorite was a meteorite that had fallen where these Inuits lived. Yeah. And it was used as a source of, because it had iron, it was comprised of like all these minerals and metals and stuff. They would chip off pieces of it and use it to make tools, which when you're, you know, when you're up there, the only thing you have to make tools out of are bones. <laughs> you wait from for things someone to that die. You've, literally like bones from things that you've killed or, or found dead and whatever else you can find. If it's and fucking, ice. if it's snow, <laughs> yeah. then you can't really do much with it. So, uh, so th- it was, a, it was basically like the lifeblood of this, 
uh, a group of people. Mm-hmm. Th- there's estimates that it went all the way back, at least before the 1100s, because they found like Viking arrowheads Shit. in that area that were made out of the same material. So oh. the Vikings would have found it and then used it to make arrowheads. Um, I'm shocked the Vikings wouldn't take that because they took everything. Well, they, they wouldn't have had the means to back then because this thing weighed like, like, I don't know, like 10,000 tons or something like oh, that. Oh, shit. I, I didn't know it was that it big. It was massive. It was Fuck. A, so they, and that's the thing. Like, for thousands of years, people were just chipping pieces off of it and using them as they would need it. Yeah. You know, it's, like, it's like a wellspring for them. It's just like a natural thing that they keep using and using and using over and over. Um, I, got, I lost my fork. Go to the rock. So here's, yeah. like, here's a picture of a narwhal tusk. Uh, a narwhal tusk lance with an iron head made from a Cape York meteorite. And it's on the Wikipedia oh, page. It's just like a, a, a it's a Neat. tusk with like a sharp piece of metal in it. So this fun. was just like a tribe that lived near there. The Inuits, like, yeah, they were just the Eskimos. Okay, because so I'm trying to think, like, how do these people like melt the metal to put on the tusks? No, they just chipped it off and then chipped pieces of it down until it was it was like whittling, but with oh, but with metal. Fuck, I can't imagine. Or how. whittling with uh with pieces of iron, like chunks of iron, like hard, brittle. Metal, you know, Oof. or not metal, but you know what I mean. Like a rock. Rock, yeah. yeah. It's like a it's like a rock that is more, uh, more it'll stand up to more than a rock would. Mm. Um, working at the American Museum of Natural History, anthropologist Franz Boaz had requested that Peary bring back an Inuit for study. Go fetch me one of those Inuits. <laughs> oh, God. During the expedition to retrieve the Cape York meteorite, <laughs> Peary convinced six individuals, including a man named Quisik and his child uh, Minik to travel to America with him by promising that they would be able to return with tools, weapons, and gifts within a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all my native peoples, you know what I'm saying? When a white man come up and say he's going to give you some some presents and stuff, <laughs> if you just do something for him, Don't he's going to bring you smallpox. Don't you know? trust whitey. Yeah, that's my... That's my uh, Apollo comedian character. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, like how many times were natives fucked over by white people being like, every chance they yeah, got. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll hook yeah, you up. Don't worry we'll about it. Just you some blankets. You help us now and we'll hook you up on the way back, you know? So um, <laughs> thank you for the land. Here's a tooth. Perry left the people at the museum when he returned with the Cape York meteorite in 1897, where they were kept in damp human conditions, unlike their homeland. Within a few months, four died of tuberculosis. Their remains were dissected. Why? And the bones. The <laughs> we have to find out what makes these savages tick. That's why. That's literally like the thinking back then was like, these are different species than us. Like it was just. So why would you bring them? Why not just they wanted to get the rock? For, for scientific reasons, Haven. They just, they wanted, they they were. They wanted to know what they what made them tick. Uh, their remains were dissected, and the bones of the Cusick were put on display Aww. after Minnick was shown a fake burial. And here's little Minnick. That little Minnick. Look at how sad he looks. Oh, poor little feller. He's like, fuck you. It's like the what was it? Is was it uh, was it Futurama or what was the show where like the caveman sees his wife on display at the museum and he's oh like, yeah that was, was that it? was a feature of a bit like yeah. the time travelers like yeah. therapy group yeah he's like i saw her <laughs> i saw her on display at the natural history museum <laughs> it's like, it's like god that would suck <laughs> uh speaking as a teenager to the san francisco examiner about peary minnick said at the start peary was kind enough to was kind enough to my people he made them presents or ornaments a few knives and guns for hunting and wood to build sledge, sledges uh, but as soon as he was ready to start home his other work began before our eyes he packed up 
the bones of our dead friends and ancestors. To the women crying and the men's questioning, he answered them that it was taking our dead friends to a warm and pleasant land to bury them. Oh my God. <laughs> our, soul horrendous. our soul supply of flint for lighting and iron for hunting and cooking implements was furnished by the huge meteorite. This Peary put aboard his steamer and took from, from my poor people who needed it so much. After this, he coaxed my father and that brave man, Natuka, who were the strongest hunters and the wisest heads of our tribe to go with him to America. Our people were afraid to let them go, but Piri promised that they should have Natuka and my father back within a year and that with them would come great stock of guns and ammunition and wood and metal and presents for the women and children. <laughs> we're going to bring what? you back lots of goodies, we promise. That's exactly what an abusive husband says. This is, this, yeah, this, <laughs> is, what, this nice. is what a shitty stepdad, these are shitty yeah. stepdad promises, or not stepdad, these are shitty single father promises. Yeah. That's what this is. He's we're going like, to Disney, we're staying at Epcot. Yeah, I know I missed your birthday this year, but next year we're going to see Mickey. We're going to see Mickey <laughs> and Goofy, I swear. And he's got like $11 in his checking account. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we were crowded into a hold of a vessel and treated like dogs. Peary seldom came near us. Peary eventually helped Minnick travel home in 1909, though it was speculated that this was to avoid any bad press surrounding his anticipated celebratory return after reaching the, quote, North Pole. <laughs> I'm putting the quotes on that. Um, so I'm trying to find where it said the part about how much... The, oh, I guess I got to go to the actual meteorite page because when you see how big it is, and it's still... On display at the wow. American Museum of Natural History. Natural History, there it is. It's massive. Damn, Damn. That, that's like a redwood tree stump. Yeah, it's huge. So um, let's see how much it weighed. Oh, and here's it was a little larger. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> that. Uh, this was the uh, Angehito fragment. This is another piece. Fuck, they're huge. Damn. So it's like you would imagine they were just to study. Let's take a, take, a, take a good size chunk. chunk. You know, that's all you would need. But no, they wanted all of it. So, my God. Uh, all right. The Light iron privilege. The, the iron known to Inuit is Savikoa, uh, a word that Kyle can't say. Great iron later Kevin renamed. Kevin Cosner. Kevin Cosner. <laughs> later renamed uh, Anagito by Robert Edwin Peary. So they, they always like renaming stuff too. <laughs> Weighing 31 metric tons. 31 long tons and 34 short tons, whatever that means. <laughs> Another one called, quote, the woman weighing three metric tons and one called. Because <laughs> that's the piece they fucked. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, it's, just, it's <laughs> Sam, Sam Rockwell. These little guys I call the ex-wife. <laughs> Iron Man 2. Yeah. Uh, there's one called the dog weighing 880 pounds. For centuries, Inuit living near the meteorites used them as a source of material for tools and harpoons. The Inuit would work the metal using cold forging, that is by hammering the metal with stones. Uh, excavations of a Norse farm in 1976 located, it was Norse, it wasn't, I guess it's kind of Viking, located an arrowhead made of iron from the meteorite dating to the 11th to 14th century AD. Its presence is evidence that the Norse journeys to north, of the Norse journeys to northern Greenland. So that's where these guys lived, were northern Greenland. Also conveniently the place where he went to say, oh, this is the North Pole, right? And then, yeah. you know, so it's, yeah, widely assumed that he was just full of shit. Um, wow, he he really just checked all the marks of a uh, uh, old white person. A, a, <laughs> a colonial style asshole, yeah. yeah. Of just like, you know, I'm exploring. 
<laughs> I'm doing what I a mean, child does. I mean, only a real in the asshole like of that time. That's that's how you determine if you're an asshole. Like when you want to be an explorer and you get paid to like enslave people and steal their shit. That's the main character of your Pokemon Snap game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're right. Dude. He's a descendant of Peary. <laughs> the great, great he's grandson. Like, he's like the great, great fail son of, uh, <laughs> the great, great grand fail son of Robert Peary. So uh, he was also, I mean, obviously he was a con man, but uh, there was something called the Crocker Land Expe- Expedition. Uh, it took place in 1913. Its purpose was to investigate the existence of Crocker Land, a huge island supposedly sighted by the explorer Robert Peary at the top of Cape Colgate. Oh, that's where they make the toothpaste. In 1906. <laughs> that was a shitty joke. Um, it is now believed <laughs> that Peary fraudulently invented the island. So he he tricked these people into believing that there was an island there and got an expedition going. It's like, see that sandbar? It's bigger. <laughs> and I guess this is when, so like, there's a picture of Minnick. So is this the one where he picked up Minnick? Huh. Anyway, what were you gonna ask, Drew? So like he promised like a bunch of like like lush green. He was whatever. like, There's an island. Let me see. yeah, he was like, There's definitely an island uh up here. We should go find it. Um yeah, following the nineteen oh six expedition that failed to reach the North Pole, Robert E. Peary reported in his book that he had sighted a distant land from the heights of the northwestern shore of Ellesmere Island. He named it Crocker Land after San San Francisco banker George Crocker. It turned out to be a crock of shit. Uh, one of his financial <laughs> bankers. It is now known that Peary's claim was fraudulent as he wrote it in, as he wrote in his diary at the time. No land Why would you was leave visible. A yeah, he was Why really, would you out yourself? Yeah. The invention of Crocker Land was apparently to attempt to secure further support from Crocker's or uh, from Crocker for Peary's <laughs> 1909 expedition. Hey man, uh, I need a little more money, but hey, check it out. I named a place after you, and it's definitely <laughs> real. We could go there. I could take pictures and bring it back. And it's like, what, I don't know what the 1900s equivalent of Photoshop would be. but like he's, you know, <laughs> He probably just stole a picture from a house. Yeah. <laughs> he was out before and was like, this is the island. Uh, all right. So he attempted to secure the support for the expedition. If so, the attempt failed as Crocker had diverted all of the available resources to the rebuilding of San Francisco following the 1906 earthquake. Uh, the existence or non-existence of Crocker Land became important following the controversial events of autumn of 1909 when both Peary and Frederick Cook returned to civilization, claiming to have reached the North Pole. Since Cook claimed to have traversed the alleged region of Crocker Land and found no such land, the existence of Crocker <laughs> Land would be proof of the falsity of uh, Cook's claim. Backers of Peary's claim therefore set out to find it. <laughs> so he had people risking life and limb to go find this lie. Like the Max Magician. <laughs> So this island was just fucking fire festival. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to talk about the real ancient fire festival on the bonus episode. But yeah, this was, this was, this was a mini fire festival style event. Uh, The expedition was organized by Donald Baxter McMillan and sponsored by the American Museum of National History, the American Geographical Society and the University of Illinois Museum of National Natural History. Uh, so basically, yeah, the expedition, uh, they left on the steamer Diana on 2nd of July, 1913. Two weeks later, at midnight on 16th of July, the Diana struck rocks while trying to avoid an iceberg. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> that sucks. McMillan blamed the collision on the captain, who was drunk at the time. <laughs> the expedition transferred to another ship, the Eric, <laughs> and eventually <laughs> arrived at Etah, the northwest Greenland uh, in Northwest Greenland on the second week of August. The next three weeks were spent constructing a large eight-roomed shed. 
with electricity <laughs> generation capabilities. It was to serve as a local headquarters for the expedition. An attempt was also made to set up a radio room, but was not successful. And the expedition was never able to establish reliable radio communications from the outside world. Meanwhile, Peary's like outside, just like cutting cables. Like, <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta make sure I'm the one who tells the no story. No one must know. Yeah. <laughs> After making a number of preliminary trips to place supply caches along the route, McMillan, Green, Ekblah, and seven Inuit set off on the 1,200-mile journey to Crocker Land on 11 March 1914. Uh, the so I guess oh, he, Peary wasn't even here. So the temperature was many degrees below zero, and weather conditions were very poor. So he's at home laughing. Oh yeah, he's sitting <laughs> by a fireplace, yeah. <laughs> having a brandy. Yeah. Eventually, the party reached the four thousand seven hundred foot high uh, Beechdalt Crater Glacier Crater. Where did that come from? <laughs> I am illiterate. Uh, which took them three days to climb. The temperature dropped drastically, dramatically, is what it actually said. <laughs> and Eggblas suffered severe frostbite. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> He was evacuated back to Etah by some of the Inuit. So they just made the Inuit do that. They're like, yeah, let's send him back. One by one, the other members of the party gave up and turned back. By the time the expedition reached the edge of the Arctic Ocean on 11 April, only McMillan, Green, and two Inuit, names that I will not be able to pronounce, <laughs> the four dog sleds set across the, the treacherous sea ice, avoiding thin patches and expanses of open water. And eventually on 12... 12, 21st of April. <laughs> I Christ, am, Kyle. I'm dyslexic. You smell pennies? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the party saw what appeared, to, you try reading this much, uh, tried to appear to a huge Your island. literacy is declining. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> diminishing. Uh, dramatic, drastically. I am drinking. On the northwestern horizon. <laughs> Flywall. As, yeah, as McMillan later said, hills, valleys, snow-capped peaks extending through at least 120 degrees of the horizon. Uh, an Inuit hunter, whose name I won't try to pronounce, with 20 years of experience <laughs> of the area, explained that it was just an illusion. He called it Pujak, which means mist. However, Macmillan insisted they press on, even though it was late in the season, the sea ice was breaking up. Just another story, just like the, the terror. Just, 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 just <laughs> some English guy being like, we press on. You know, <laughs> For five days, they went on following the mirage. <laughs> finally, on 21st of April. Finally, on 27th April. <laughs> <laughs> they had covered some 125 miles of dangerous sea ice. McMillan was forced to admit that the fella, Inuit, uh, was right. And the land he decided was in fact a mirage. It was probably a rare form of mirage called the Fata Morgana. Fata Morgana. Oh, I've heard of that. Later, McMillan wrote, yeah, Manny. Uh, later, McMillan wrote, the day, <laughs> the day was exceptionally clear. Not a cloud or trace of mist. If land could be seen... Now was our time. Yes, there it was. It could be even be seen without a glass, extending from southwest true <laughs> to north-northeast. Our powerful glasses, however, brought out more clearly in the dark background in contrast with the white, the whole resembling hills, valleys, and snow-capped peaks to such a degree that we, we had not been out on the frozen sea for 150 miles. We, we would have staked our lives upon its reality. Our judgment then is now that it was a mirage or loom of the sea ice. Uh, the party turned around and was able to reach solid land with no time to spare for the sea ice broke up the next day. Holy shit, they killed a guy. They, <laughs> they killed one of the Inuits. What the fuck? What? Why? What? Yeah, why? After returning to land, McMillan sent, <laughs> I'm going to try to pronounce his name, respect to the dead. I think it, he'd be more respected if you didn't. Okay, <laughs> we'll, call him, we'll call him Mr. P because his name starts with a P. Uh, At least he said Mr. Puguatek. Pogwatek, we'll call him that. Pogwatek. 
and Green to explore a route to the west. The weather turned against them, and they were forced to take shelter, shelter in a snow cave. One of the dog teams died in the snow, and, and during the squabble over which direction to travel next, Green took a rifle from the sled and shot Mr. P in the back, killing him. What the fuck? Just because he's like, hey, we in should the go back, left. too. These dudes sucked, dude. Don't trust the English. <laughs> I think there's no, these are Americans. Oh, fuck. these are manifest destiny motherfuckers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> fucking dude. I don't twats. know. You know what? You know what? No, these guys had a, had a real dude's rock mentality and they were just trying to get their names in the papers. I respect, like respect. assholes. Respect, dude. No, respect. <laughs> the assholes are like, I'm going like, to do something no one else has done. On four. Gr- Shoot it in you. Listen, if you're in a disagreement with somebody and they turn their back on you, that's on them. All right. On 4 May, Green rejoined McMillan and told him what had happened. Upon their return to Etah, McMillan informed the other American members of the expedition, but asked them to keep quiet. He told the Inuit that Mr. P had died in an avalanche. <laughs> Ekblaw said later that this was, quote, one of the darkest and most deplorable tragedies in the annals of Arctic exploration. Green was never prosecuted for the murder. Of course, he wasn't. That's, Although the Indians suspected there was more to the story. Annal of exploration. Jesus. All these stories tell me, it's like, says we should just stay the fuck away from like snow in the oh, North Pole. Oh shit! It just got even crazier. <laughs> Green was never prosecuted, although the Inuit suspected there was more to the story than had been told to Green, uh, and that Green had had a relationship with Piraquat's wife, Alquisana, a striking beauty. She had previously been Piri's mistress and had oh. borne him two children. What so she was getting fuck? turned out by these dudes. And, dude, this needs to be the movie. Yeah. These two guys in an ice cave, and they're like, you know, tensions are rising, and this lady is, you know, back at. Back in the in the igloo, just like wondering who's gonna come back. <laughs> Who should I prepare for? Yeah, who's yeah? The return home. Just one. Who cares? Fucking <laughs> old world Maury episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Peacock, you are not the father. <laughs> He's just stoked. He's like, yeah, <laughs> just running around. The other guy's got his head in his hands. He's like, damn, Fuck. this is a fucking yeah. dude's rock. <laughs> this is they, it's a dude's rock kind of time. <laughs> Speaking of dude's rock kind of times, the last thing we'll talk about, and then we'll wrap it up because we went a little long just to cover up the stuff that I'm definitely not going to maybe cut out. Um, <laughs> uh, I've been reading about the Comanche Indians. That, they were fucking brutal, dude. They were, like, they were nuts. Like, like they were bad or what we like, did okay, to them every, was bad? Everybody in the time period was pretty bad yeah the the comanche indians were like known for their prowess in like riding horses and like shooting arrows from horseback so they would just run circles around like the the single shot rifle carrying yeah. uh, people scouting lands and at this time they would just like the state and and in even like like national government at the time would just tell people that were going out west Survey a piece of land, <laughs> it's yours. You, that's it. That's all that it takes. But what they weren't telling him was like, by the way, there's You're some people there <laughs> that already are, are laying claim to it, and they're gonna fuck you up. Yeah. Um, so they would like. There was this one uh, fort that was built, and they were they for some reason left the gates open to it. And these Comanches showed up, and one guy came out. He's like, I'm just gonna go see what they want. And he like walked out <laughs> to talk to him. Howdy, neighbor. And they immediately just like shot him with arrows and beat him oh. to death, <laughs> scalped him, and then ran into I the- can just imagine him walking out, and there's just this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just like the arrogance of that. It's like, like that oh. opening scene in uh, American Gods. 
Yeah, exactly. It just gets <laughs> it just arrowed, it just arrowed the fuck out of that guy. Yeah. So they, so the the, the Comanches come in, do horrific things to these people, like, you know, like, like scalping, raping, kidnapping, hog tying, and beating people till they can't like breathe and they're choking on their own blood. Just horrific things. They were also known to like cut people's eyelids off and bury them in anthills. What? Yeah, the or like fuck? next to anthills. They would bury them up to the <laughs> next, like thousand yards there. next to an anthill. Yeah, they were fucking ruthless, dude. My God. Yeah, but at the same time, like the the early Texas Rangers were also like, like we're just gonna go out and we're gonna get us some scalps. Like, <laughs> but and they were kind of worse, arguably, because they would protect these settlers. And after a while, the the head guy of the Texas Rangers was like. Uh, the, no, they're good. We don't need They don't need us anymore. And, and they're like, why? And they're like, oh, there's just no more Indians. And they're like, okay. And they came back and come to find out later. It's because like the, the, the budget had dried up and he wasn't getting paid anymore. So it's like, I mean, <laughs> I guess, them on your own. Yeah, it's like, it's like, I'm not doing this shit for free. You know, I'm not risking my life, but they could, I'll murder for money. They, not could, for they could track people like no matter what. And like the settlers would just be morons about it. They would just like, they would set up camp. At a, at a, well, if they're not told, like, listen, you're going to get fucked. Well, the thing is, here. you got to like look at the land. Like if you look on the ground and you see a bunch of like broken trees all in one direction and hoof prints that look like the size of buffalo prints, you're like, oh, this is a buffalo run. Let's not camp here. But they wouldn't do that. And they would camp in the middle of the night to hear a rumbling and they get out of their tents <laughs> and see a wall of buffalo tra- you know, stampeding at them. And, 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 and yeah, exa- it's like setting up camp on train tracks. You know, like, like that's maybe not How the best How is plan. this happening? Yeah. <laughs> Why are consequences happening? <laughs> Why are my decisions leading to this? Uh, oh my God, I, I bet up. someone knew yeah. it's my consequences. <laughs> So yeah, it's just it was it was a bad time in history. So yeah, that's when uh, they like waged war on the remaining Indians, and you had guys like Custer going out. Custer had a fucking horrific way to go, because the Indians hated Custer like worst of all. No, I wonder why. Yeah. So when he was killed, I don't know if this happened after he died and they just desecrated his body, or if it was while he was alive. But I bet it's while he was alive. They had the women in the tribe like like jam like wooden rods up his. His, uh, his dick hole oh, and like cut it off and shove it in his mouth and they like skinned him and stuff. It was fuck. really bad. Dude. And they kept it quiet for the longest time because he was like a quote American hero back then. <laughs> and they couldn't let you know that like, you know. They were like, mouth. listen, uh, Custer w- was killed early this morning in a raid on his compound. Uh, in accordance with uh, Muslim tradition, he was buried at sea. <laughs> and you don't need to ask any more questions about it. <laughs> he definitely, it definitely happened. And you don't need to ask any more questions about it. <laughs> when did it happen? That's a question. That's a question. Yeah, I got here. So, yeah, it was one of those style situations. So, yeah, that's some good, that's some good history, boys. Uh, you guys got anything else to talk about? My God. I feel like a learned man. Yeah. You look like a learned man. Well, you're going to be a full-blown learned man next episode because, no, not this next bonus episode, but <laughs> episode 10, we're, we're, uh, we're undergoing a rebrand. So, what? yeah. Say goodbye to the trash pod. <laughs> goodbye, Shake trash off the pod. I'm going to be fully blown by learned men. You want to be blown by men? Only learned men. <laughs> we're going to shake off the escape rockets and slip the surly bonds of our own insecurities and, and get to the moon. And then crash and not make any more money. Fuck it. So. <laughs> cool. <laughs>